The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to Matthew 28 as I read the sermon text for this morning. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. This is the second week of Global Focus, as we've said. Last Sunday, Andrew Scott, the executive director of Operation Mobilization, reminded us that the mission of God from the very beginning in creating Adam and Eve in his image was to glorify his name, that his, his name would be glorified by these human beings, these image bearers, as they would be fruitful and multiply and display the glory of God everywhere. And then he, in light of the Great Commission, he called us to do that, to glorify God on God's mission, no S, to be glorified in our lives with the special burden and concern for the Great Commission. Laboring to see God glorified in all peoples, all nations of the world, especially where, where the gospel is not heard or preached or represented. And he closed last week with a question he used the word surrender. I've kind of been thinking about that word. I kind of like that word. <laughs> surrender. You know, Jesus has authority. He speaks commands to us. Do we obey? Do we yield? Here's how he put it. Am I surrendered to the grand glorious story of God into which he has written me? My identity, my purpose, and the roles for which he has made me to do in the world. Have I surrendered them? into his grand and glorious plan because when we live for something else, we live, we live for something less. And when we step into that, God's grand and glorious story, we step into the very purpose for which we were created, the grand and glorious purpose of God. So there's a call to lean into the mission of God for which we exist to glorify him and enjoy him and to lean into Christ's mission for us by missions, plural, S, taking the gospel to the nations. And then last Sunday evening, Pastor John spoke in the main hall and added to this call, removing common obstacles that we have in our minds that keep us from surrendering, surrendering to Christ's call in the Great Commission, yielding to missions. 
And we'll get that manuscript, or actually we won't get it. Desiring God will post that manuscript and, and I'll send it, a note in my um, pastor's uh, newsletter when that's posted so you can take a look at what Pastor John said in the main hall. It is worth your reading. So, um, my aim this morning is twofold. And uh, let me say it this way. Number one, my aim is... But there's a, number one aim is a congregational aim and the second aim is a personal aim. So my congregational aim is for us, Bethlehem Baptist Church, Minneapolis, to strengthen our grip, our commitment to global outreach here. Despite, you know, the changes, the, the uh, limited funds and the distractions of our lives and our fears and our comforts, and despite the local challenges and needs, uh, I'm, I'm, my aim is that we as a congregation would yes, say yes corporately to the Great Commission and, and, and all the different uh, things that that means as it plays out in the life of a church. And, and so at the end of the service, I'm going to close by asking you, if you're a member of Bethlehem, to stand as a symbolic yes, yielding to Jesus. What? Surrendering to Jesus, great command. Yes, as a church people, yes, Jesus. We hear your command in the Great Commission. Yes. Now give us grace to do it. Lead us, guide us, give us wisdom. What needs to change? Well, I don't know all the answers. But a symbolic yes, and then, uh, and then you know, this is our tradition here. We're going to do it again. The second aim is personal, and I think about it in two levels. One is for each of us personally to do the same, say yes to Christ's great commission. Lord, lead me into a new level of obedience and expression and alignment of my actions and values and plans and, and giving and, and, and to the great commission. And then as a particular focus in that personal call, I'll ask those of you singles or married couples sensing a call to cross-cultural missions to come forward. Uh, it might be an inkling. Yeah, I, think I, I think God might be calling me to missions or it might be you're somewhere in the exploration or preparation process, but if you'd come forward, stand. So imagine all the congregation stand, all the congregation who in, who want to say yes to mission standing, the global, or the, those being called to the Great Commission coming forward, and, uh, and then we'll pray for them and pray for us, and the global outreach team will connect with them, and it's those who are sensing a call to missions that I'm inviting to my house tonight for missions in the man's. So those are the aims. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thanks for your word. Thanks for this call of Jesus, this command of Jesus. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he's with us always. I pray that you would give us faith to surrender, to obey, to yield, to observe this teaching of Jesus. For the glory of your name, I pray. For the joy of all peoples, I pray. And for our delight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So...
context of our text. Christ has risen from the dead, triumphant over sin and death and the power of Satan. And he had instructed his disciples, the 11 of them, um, to go to this mountain, see it in verse 16, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And there they saw the risen Christ again. I don't presume that this is the first time they saw him because of other texts. And when they saw him, verse 17 says, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So imagine, they worshiped him, they worshiped him. Jesus, you rose just as you said. You gave your life a ransom for many. You were lifted up to draw all people to yourself. You, you, you laid down your life and you picked it up again. You, you're, you're, your body and your blood are the new covenant established for us. The gospel, the news. You died for sins to bring us to God. Praise God. So they're worshiping. But some doubted. I think that's very interesting. I never thought so much about that part of the text. But some doubted. Jesus uses that same word in Matthew 14 of Peter. The disciples are out in the sea in the middle of the night. So they're out there in this boat, and Jesus decides to go, go to them. So he starts walking on the water out to them. And Peter saw, sees them, sees Jesus, and the disciples cry, it's a ghost, you know, they're afraid. And, and Jesus says, take heart. It's all right, don't be afraid. So Peter, you know this story. If you know this story, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out. So Jesus says, come on out. <laughs> so Peter steps out of the boat. And he starts walking to Jesus. Remember the account? And he's standing on water with Jesus. <laughs> and he sees the wind and the waves are sloshing around. And he starts sinking. And becomes afraid. He says, Lord, save me. And here's what Jesus says to him. Jesus takes him by the hand. <laughs> Peter, Peter, Peter. Takes him by the hand. Kind of what I want the Lord to do to us all the time. Takes him by the hand. Takes hold of him, it says. And then Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That's the same word. And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him. Huh. Saying, truly you are the son of God. So back in our text, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Perhaps some doubted his resurrection, like Thomas, we know from, from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and Jesus saw that. Here I am. And uh, Thomas's doubts were answered. What else could the disciples have doubted? Some, yeah, they worshiped and some doubted. Jesus was about to leave this world and go to his father. And he had already told them that he was leaving them with the great, grand, and glorious, and difficult mission. 
Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I mean, when Jesus announces he's going away, the disciples get angsty. So they knew the mission that he was going to leave them. I'll give you a a clip of it from Matthew 24, a few verses, a few chapters earlier. Speaking to the disciples, Jesus says, how about this, knowing this is coming? They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So I wonder if the doubt mentioned in verse 17 is in some measure, at least, doubt arising in anticipation of the mission that Jesus is going to give them or has already given them. Jesus, that's impossible. It's like saying, come out on the water and walk. So I pray, you know, this is such a familiar text, and familiar texts are dangerous. I pray for a fresh hearing of the Great Commission to be heard in faith and not doubting. You know, like in, 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 uh, in the text with Peter, doubt looks at the wind and the waves, not to Jesus. Doubt looks at the impossibility of the calling, come on out on the water, and not to Jesus. In our time, in this church, with this commission, Doubt looks at our own ability, our own gifting, our insufficiency for the task, and not to Jesus. Doubt looks at our our size and our finances and says, well, that's impossible. Doubt looks there and not to Jesus. So if you climb into that, they worshiped, but some doubted. Whatever those doubts are, one of the things that Jesus is doing in the Great Commission is both feeding their worship and dissolving their doubts. Hey, all authority has been given to me. Hey, people, I will be with you always. Now go. Make disciples. Trust me. Look to me is what Jesus is saying. Not to the wind or the waves or our ability or our checkbook. I mean, there's no mention of money in this passage. It's not about our resources. It's about him. So there's my outline. I just gave it to you. I did it in a goofy order, though. Here it is, three points. Number one, the authority of Christ. Number two, the commission of Christ. And number three, the promise of Christ. Number one, the authority of Christ. I'm just going to walk through this very briefly. Describe the authority of Christ. It's, it's all authority, right? The extent of Christ's authority is all-encompassing. 
He has all the divine right and all the divine power to sovereignly rule over everything. That's what all authority means. This authority was given him. All authority has been given by God the Father to his Son, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, sovereign, king, to the glory of God the Father. His authority extends everywhere, all authority in heaven and on earth, so all authority in heaven, all the spiritual realms in heaven, uh, all the, the angels he rules, and he rules over the cosmic powers of this present darkness. He rules with authority over all the earth, every created place in the universe. And this means he rules with all authority over every one, everywhere, all people. Of this the prophet Daniel spoke. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And then Daniel adds that this kingdom lasts forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. It's the authority of Christ Jesus. So throughout the scriptures, we see Jesus exerting his authority in his words. He he speaks authoritative truth to, to to be believed. He defines what truth is and he speaks it. And we ignore his truth to our folly. He he speaks and has power over nature. He says, be still to that storm and the winds cease. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, keeping everything in existence. He has authority over our bodies. Praise God. He heals us from all our diseases. Authority over life and death. My favorite passages is Lazarus, come on out. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never ever die. His authority to take his to lay down his life, and he has authority to take it up again, and that's what he did. He has authority to forgive sins. He has authority over demons and unclean spirits. He has authority over Satan. He has authority over heaven and hell. He has authority to execute judgment on all human beings, sorting those who are saved by his grace through his death from the unrighteous who will go into eternal punishment. He has that authority. And he has authority over, needless to say, you and me 
and this church. He has the right and the might, the power to command that everyone worship him and become his disciple. And isn't it amazing, having been given all authority in heaven and on earth, the way that Jesus extends his reign, his disciple-making reign here on this earth is through disciples like you and me. Paul uses the word ambassadors of the king. Hence the Great Commission. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. You know, one of my thoughts, and I didn't develop this, is I'm just struck by how our world, it's probably always been this way, but I'm very aware, our world is just full of Evangelism with a little E. Like people trying to persuade us of their worldview, of their product, uh, you know, buy this and be happy or believe this doctrine. There, there are these mini gospels out there that the doctrines, all kinds of things, doctrines of sexual identity, doctrine of Racial identity, doctrine of politics, just all out there trying to persuade, believe this to be happy, believe, believe, believe. And who gave them authority to do any of that? When we go speak, believe in Jesus. There's no other way. Who gave you authority to do that? Jesus did. We're not on our own authority in the commission. Make disciples. How? Baptizing and teaching. Baptizing and teaching. Baptizing. Baptism is this beginning of discipleship. It takes place after people repent and believe. I'm so glad that, that Paul in the welcome, you put in a call for the baptism class, the membership class coming up. The the Great Commission is not merely, it's not merely to do your good works so they may glorify your Father in heaven. It's not merely go make conversions. Go make disciples baptizing. So right there, the commission is implicitly calling for disciples to be gathered in the local churches. Acts 2, 41. So those who received Peter's word, Peter's proclamation of the gospel, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the church. Baptizing. Method number one, baptizing. Method number two, teaching. 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The task of discipleship unapologetically involves teaching. You know, where there's no teaching taking place, it's not discipleship. The task is not merely to teach everything that Jesus commanded, note, but teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. But you can't observe everything that Jesus commanded if you don't know what Jesus has commanded, right? So they kind of hang together. Here's a sampling. I won't give you the references on these. You can have them if you ask me, email me. Jesus says, believe in God. Believe also in me. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Therefore, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and, and his righteous, God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Three more, four more. Just a sampling. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Therefore, sell your possessions and give to the needy. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Take up your cross and follow me. Go. Make disciples of all nations baptizing and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. That's disciple-making. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. I'm scratching the surface. I mean, if that doesn't call for divine grace and power, I don't know what does. Which Jesus has sandwiched the Great Commission between, right? All authority, I'll be with you always to do this thing, make disciples. 
have to just say, there's a recent study in Christianity Today about the top five heresies among American evangelicals. And just let me say the report card on self-professing evangelicals on our own doctrine is not very good. It's getting worse. I'll read just a paragraph. I could have spent more time on this. You can go to Christianity Today and, and find it yourself. Type in the word evangelical heresy report. In the 2022 survey, around a quarter of evangelicals, 26% said that the Bible is not literally true, up from 15% just two years ago. 26% now. They also uh, became more likely to consider religious belief as a matter of personal opinion and not about objective truth. 38% said, professing evangelicals, 38%. Denying the exclusivity of Christ. There's more. I'm not going to get into the more, but oh my, we have got a task in this church and in this world to make disciples, baptizing and teaching them. Teaching them what Jesus commands, what the Bible says, and teaching them how to observe it in our lives. And, I mean, honestly, we cannot pat ourselves on the back for the legacy of being a teaching church. That doesn't work. If people here are like these people here, God forbid... So we, we have great commission work to do in and outside the church. Thirdly, the promise of Christ. And behold, look, look, see, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I mean, I, that's, that's, for me, that is sufficient grace. I'm with you, like Peter. I've got you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Always and to the end. I have to go to the great missionary of, uh, of the 18th century, um, John Patton. I believe he split the century, 17th to 18th. He went to the New Hebrides Islands and... His biography, you can read the big, thick biography. I have it. I've read it. And, or, here's what I'd say. Pastor John did a 20-page excerpt of John Patton's life that, like, captured all the Raiders of the Lost, Raiders of the Lost Ark action moments in his missionary life. So, I, I believe it's for free on Desiring God, but... If you look him up on Wikipedia, it's John Gibson Patton. If you just do John Patton, all kinds of things come up. John Gibson Patton. So he's this missionary that gave his life that the, the islanders in the New Hebrides Islands would, would come to Christ. And, and his son spoke about his dad in this way. <laughs> He says, you know, my dad, in his private conversation, my father was constantly quoting the words 
Lo, I am with you always. As the inspiration of his quietness, calm anxiety, you know, anxiety-free. His confidence in times of danger. Read the book or Pastor John's 20-pager. And his hope in the face of human impossibilities. So much was this realized by his family that we decided to inscribe that text upon his tombstone. It seemed to all of us to sum up the essential element in his faith and the supreme source of his courage and endurance. Yeah. The promise. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. God promised Moses, I will be with you. God promised Joshua, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The Lord promises his people in Isaiah 41, 10, fear not for I am with you. And Jesus in the Great Commission reminds us I am with you always to the end of the age. So I'm going to close. What lands on my shoulders, and I hope yours too, is this historical fact that in the past 151 years, God has blessed this church with the grace to send missionaries and church planters cross-culturally for the glory of Christ. You know, I, I don't know how you think about churches and their different giftings and graces. You know, I don't think about churches all needing to be identical in their gifts and graces. You know, I mean, just much, much like the body of Christ, God God gifts different churches with different graces. One might have a, a stronger grace of evangelism and one might have a, a stronger grace in discipling and one might have a stronger grace in helping hurting people and, and one might have a stronger grace in sending to the global mission field. And that's how I see it, that, that God has given us a grace to be stewarded, much like in the parable of the, the, the ten talents. Remember that? In the parable, the, uh, the master gives these talents to different servants and, and they're commended for how they utilize those talents for the master's cause. And so that's that sense of responsibility that I feel. I feel like a responsibility to steward the graces that God has given us here at Bethlehem. Well, that we might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. By our best count, over the last 151 years, this church has sent out 245 individuals or families in response to the Great Commission cross-culturally. And that's not counting the 47 church plants here that have been started. I mean, I hope you enjoyed the video last week of our current global partners. So, 
When I began, I said I was going to close this way, and now I'm going to. My congregational aim is for us to strengthen our congregational yes to Christ's great commission. Yes. Yes, Lord. Uh, we, we hear the commission. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We believe he's going to do what he says he's going to do, like be with us always. And by your grace, we say yes to it. We ask for your help in figuring out all of what that looks like in the next season of the life of this church. And so, uh, right now, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to stand. Uh, if you're a member of this church, if you're a regular attender, I'll ask you to stand too. Uh, just as a symbolic, I'm not looking, as a symbolic yes. <laughs> to yes. Yes, Jesus. Yes. We hear your command. We want to obey everything that you've commanded us to do. This is one of the things you've commanded us to do. Yes. And give us grace and wisdom. <laughs> To, to do that great commission here as a local church in the years to come. And then, um, and then personally, first to all of us, you know, in your heart of hearts, you know, uh, Andrew, um, the executive director of OAM, Andrew Scott, his word was yield. In your heart of hearts, my aim is that each one of us would yield to Christ's great commission in our lives, in our personal lives, in our choices, in our values, in our investments, in our vacation, in, our, in, in whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. We'd yes to Jesus' sovereign and divine authority over us as his blood-bought, dearly loved, chosen people. But then specifically, in answer to Jesus' command to pray for laborers for the harvest, I'm going to ask you if, if you're a single or a married couple and you're sensing God's call to cross-cultural missions or cross-cultural church planting to come forward, come up here, and um, you might be just having a new inkling, you might be somewhere in the preparation phase, just come up here. And uh, representatives of the global outreach team, in fact, the global outreach team can come as well. And, uh, and they want to talk with you. And then it's you that I'd want to invite to, to my home tonight in the, in the manse. We'll hear what God is doing in your life and we will pray. So let me pray, and if there's any of you there God's doing this in, come. If there's not, that's what God's doing. But if, if, if he's doing that, just come. Pastor Brad is here. Let me pray. Father in heaven, as a church, we, we say yes to your commission. Yes. Lead us, guide us, help us, shape us to, to doing the, the work of the Great Commission as we ought to do it now in this next phase of life at Bethlehem. And then, Father, I pray in each of our hearts that you would be welling up a surrender and a, and a yes 
to the Great Commission in our personal lives and all that that would mean as it plays out. And then thirdly, you, you said pray for laborers for the harvest. The harvest fields are white. The harvest is ripe for harvesting. So we pray for you to raise up laborers from among our church that we might come behind them and help prepare them and send them in a manner worthy of the calling. So help us, even as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.